0: This week on CityCast Denver, we're checking in on Denver's dining scene because it's Denver restaurant week and diners are slowly starting to eat out again. But where have the last two years left our restaurants? Today, we're going to the tippy top, the highest echelons of fine dining that Denver has to offer, with one of the chefs who has put his stamp on Denver's culinary scene with nine restaurants and a new food hall to boot, Frank Bonanno. Today is Tuesday, March 15th, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver.
1: And then garnish with Parmesan cheese.
0: Lovely. Hi. Hello. We're talking about pasta over here. Yeah, I was just going to say, something delicious is cooking already, it seems. (laughs) Yes. Hey, Paul, I'm Liz. Here's Frank. Hi, Frank. Hi. Good to see you. Thanks for doing this. Oh, no problem. Frank Bonanno, welcome back to CityCast Denver.
1: Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be back.
0: This interview is a big deal for us at CityCast Denver because the last time I spoke with Frank Bonanno was almost exactly a year ago. It was our first proper episode of the show, and we wanted to make a statement about where Denver was in the middle of the pandemic. And Frank was living in his own uncertainty. There were rumors that the building housing his flagship fine dining restaurant, Mizuna, was going to be sold and demolished. And we had no idea what any restaurant was going to look like when the pandemic lightened up. So we stopped by Mazuna that week as they were celebrating their twentieth anniversary to capture the sound of the staff's toast to an uncertain future.
1: These guys have been here twenty years. I think massive congratulations to Jacqueline, Tyler and Twenty years at the company in Green Spot is absolutely incredible.
0: And Manny and Jerry. Yeah, they Manny opened and this us Jerry, with Jerry, us. Jerry, Jerry. And here we are one year later, and it's time for another toast. Frank, what's the status of Mizuna and the building? Because I know last year you told me that you had tried to make a couple offers to buy the place, but it wasn't really working out. Um,
1: we are currently under contract to buy the buildings. And, oh my gosh. Um, but we're just under contract, so we don't know. There is no certainty in any of, of that, but as certain as it could be in a real estate deal, we feel pretty good about it.
0: So does that mean you're sort of like tentatively going to buy it? Are you like first in line? What, uh, what are you feeling about it?
1: Um, if you were to liken it to a house, we've put a deposit down. So we feel pretty positive that we are the purchasers of the, of the property.
0: Well, that's awesome. I think that's something to celebrate.
1: Yeah. You never celebrate until you sign the contract, though. And there is a very long waiting period until we actually close, which would be not until like January. So, you know, eternally optimistic.
0: So you own a lot more restaurants across the city, not just Mizuna. And a few months after we spoke last year, you instituted a 22% surcharge to every bill. And I've heard of different restaurants doing different versions of this in the past two years. Can you explain where your version of the surcharge came from?
1: Yes, we we implemented a non-tipping policy in order to just increase the wage of all employees that were working, managers, executive chefs. I mean, our goal is to try and give a higher wage to everybody that works in the restaurant industry or the hospitality industry. we're just trying to do it our little group at a time, but that that is our goal. And we, we have seen that our servers are making about 10 to 12% more, um, per hour than they were pre tipping. And our cooks are making around 22% more per hour. So we've seen that it works, um, but it, you know, it is not something that's easily attainable. I mean, you you will get more than half of your staff to quit when they hear this. And, you know, it really takes culture and our people team to really explain and and be a part of it rather than just telling people what you're doing.
0: That's interesting. I could see the reaction from servers maybe being like, you know, there's a certain gamble in in tipping, right, you, you you hope for the biggest and the best, but this kind of maybe even the playing field a little bit and took some of that gamble well,
1: out. Well, it, it evens the playing field, but what it does is it makes everybody work as a team. I mean, that's where you don't get it. I mean, every restaurant has a bad section that only gets seated once, right? So why is it fair for someone to have to always have that section when the other server gets the patio and that's the busiest section. Like, how how do you make everything equal amongst the employees that work? Because they all work hard, they all try, they all are good. And I think what you want is the best people to always be working and helping each other out. So if you're in the bad section, you are able to pick up tables, you are able to run food. In which case, in the old system, you would have paid a food runner to run food. And then the servers are tipping them out. So to try and convert people to think of jobs in hourly wages that are non-traditional is definitely a challenge. But once you can explain and buy in and show the transparency of how it works, you know, we have found that servers and... Definitely cooks and dishwashers are extremely happy with how it's going.
0: That's so interesting. It's like a total restructuring of how the restaurant functions in a certain sense. I never thought about that. So you made news a couple months ago when your restaurant group hired a full-time mental health clinician to support your staff. And I have to say, I mean, it's been years since I worked in restaurants, but this is a really incredible needed concept. What What made you make that decision and how's it going?
1: Um, I think the decision came from, you know, after we had reopened and started to poll our employees and see what was it that people wanted. Obviously, we needed to hire about 450 people, right? So as we opened our restaurants one by one over a, a short period of time, we rehired a lot of the same people that had worked with us, but then when you start asking, what is it that what what would make you want to work with us? Like, what could we offer? Money was third on the list of what everyone wanted. When they 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 wanted, they wanted mental health, <laughs> like or and and or insurance, right? Medical insurance, and they wanted a happy, good, fun, safe place to work. And then third was money. Yeah. Right. So. You know, the money thing, that comes from being busy. You know, there's there's no way you can just start paying people oodles of money if the restaurant's not busy. So how do you get a busy restaurant? Well, one is you have happy, healthy people that want to work there, right? That, that exudes that to your guests, and that's what really will make your restaurant successful. I mean, I think that's what it really is. I mean, you're trying to find people. We're in the hospitality business. We're trying to find people that want to do this, that they're not just doing this as a second job, you're looking for people that this could be a career path, and you can make real money doing it.
0: That's a great point, Frank. And I think like uh, retail work, restaurant work has become seen as less of a profession as to where, you know, decades ago, it was a profession. Um, So you see this sort of aspect of, of taking care of folks' mental health as creating a better environment that makes people want to work in this industry as a profession, not just as a side job.
1: Right. I mean, well, if you look all through Europe, it is a profession. Yeah. And there yes. is no tipping. So there must be some something mm-hmm. that equates there. I'm not sure what, but I, uh, I'm guessing that that's why.
0: So thinking about the dining experience right now, what do you think diners are looking for after two years of not really being able to go out and eat maybe as regularly as they were before.
1: I, I think they're just looking for an experience. I think they're looking to be taken care of. I think they just want to have fun, really. I mean, th- that's it. You just want to go out and have everything to be taken care of. You don't You don't want to want for anything, right? I mean, you spent two years cooking and cleaning and having your husband or wife complain that they didn't like that or you were doing Uber Eats and Now you have a real experience to go out and have someone take care of you. I mean, I I think that's what we all inherently want is someone to take care of us or to show us respect and and have some fun with us. And I I think that's what the experience is.
0: Yeah. So it's Denver Restaurant Week and we're talking to all sorts of folks in the industry. Um, So I'm asking everybody, what do you hope for the future of Denver restaurants, Frank?
1: I mean, Denver is growing so fast. I, I, I think it's growing faster than people think that it's growing. And, and the rents are getting really high. Um, but for me, I, I think the scene for Denver's restaurants is is positive. I, I think it's going to take another couple of years to get us back. I, I mean, I think you're still going to see closures in the next couple of months. That's what you're looking at. But I, I think the future of Denver restaurants. Are, are looking good. I think it's gonna be a lot more chain. I think it's not, you know, from when I started in Denver, you know, you could build a restaurant for $250,000, 300000 Now you, you couldn't even build a 16-seat restaurant for under $500,000 right now. And, and I think, you know, what we're gonna see is a lot less of the mom and pop's and a lot more of the bigger box chain restaurants coming in. And you know, that's a fear of mine, but it's not a bad thing, but I, I think that's what it's gonna take. It's 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 groups that have lots of money to build and can pay these huge rents. And and unfortunately that's that's where I think the future is kind of going.
0: Sure. So my last question is, We when we talked last year, you sort of mentioned or or joked that you were going to think about running for mayor. Do you think you would still run for mayor, Frank?
1: I think it's governor now. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I I would love to think that there's more that could be done. And I think that we have a lot of people that are very out of touch running in government. And I think I don't know, it's, it's just very frustrating to see what, what's going on, like, just in government itself that frustrates me. And so would I run for mayor? I, yes, I don't know. I, I wish I, I, I half-jokingly said that, and I, I, don't, I don't know that it's time for someone like me. I'm, I, I actually think I might be too old. I think we need younger people. I think we need younger people in government that that understand the issues and understand the next generation a lot better than than the people that are currently doing it.
0: I I think you, though, as a, a person that runs restaurants, you work with people every single day. I think you might have some some information and knowledge that politicians don't have. You're working on the ground every day with people.
1: I, well, I I do think that's why John Hickenlooper was so successful when he was a mayor, because I think he saw the problems that impeded business and growth and was able to kind of cut through the BS of why are we doing it this way? It's so inefficient. You know, we need to work together as a country and we need to put some of these idealistic views to the side and just say, what do the people need? So, so it sounds like I want to run, but I really don't.
0: Frank Bonano, thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me.
0: I think you should still run. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I'll talk to Liz, who's sitting here, who's gr- grimacing.
0: <laughs> Hi, Liz. <laughs> And here's what else is happening in Denver today. Legislation to make the right to an abortion a law in Colorado has passed through the state house, According to the Denver Post, it will now head to the Democratic-controlled Senate, where it is expected to pass, and then on to Governor Polis's desk, where he has already signaled support. Democratic lawmakers are also seeking to enshrine abortion rights in the state constitution, which voters would have to approve. And there is a possible ballot measure in the works for 2024. And finally, I've got a question for you. Do you want to see Jad Albumrod live at the Paramount Theater next month? Because our friends at the Paramount gave us two tickets to see the Radiolab founder on April 17th, and we want to give them to the biggest podcast fans in Denver. All you have to do is write a nice review of CityCast Denver and rate us five stars on your favorite podcast app, then send us a picture by April 1st. I'll put everything you need to know in the show notes for this episode. Good luck. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. And hey, I just wanna say, if you've been with us for the past year, I love you. Thank you so much for listening. It feels great to be marking our first anniversary as a show. And if this is your first time hearing us, welcome. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a five-star review, tell a friend, and sign up for our newsletter at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city later frank banano i'm sure he's heard that like five million times frankie banano okay